This is the Daily Coaching Podcast, bringing you thoughts, discussions and expert insight into all things football and coaching. I know I'll be a role model to, to girls and boys and kind of break down those barriers and stereotypes. To reach like the WSL, become a professional, break into the England squad, that's always going to be my goal. In today's episode, we're talking the growth of the women's game. And with me, I have current Crystal Palace women's under-23 captain, Rio Rosenberg. Now, Rio's story is one of inspiration. From almost not attending a trial with Palace, she is now one of the most promising players in the women's game and an inspiration not only to girls, but also boys. We talk her journey of getting into the game, the barriers and challenges that women face within football, her experiences on the Ultimate Goal series and combining playing and coaching. This one is a must listen for an insight into how to break down and overcome the barriers that women face in the world of football. So let's get into it. With all my guests, I always like to take it back to the start of the journey. So if you can, just start starting off, explain how your journey started and how you kind of got into the game of football. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to be on this podcast. Um, so hi, everyone. My name's Rio. Uh, well, how it all started, um, a long time ago now. I'm not, I'm not that old, but a long time ago. I think it probably started when I was about five years old. Um, my mum had me down at the park every single day and I just she gave me a football, fell in love with it. Um, and you know how parents always try you out at a few different things. I think the, the football one was the one I just grabbed and... I literally loved it as soon as the ball was at my feet. That's where it all began at that park uh, in Highbury. So that was the beginning of it, really. Nice. And and you say about that as well, I think, uh, from my earliest memories as well, even before I think about getting into clubs and stuff like that, there's such like an, an eagerness to go out there and play with like family members or friends, just like you said, in a park recreationally. And, you know, you have no rules to, to be fair. You don't obviously have like, you know, pitch or anything like that. You probably don't even have goals, but you just put them down whatever you can find and things like that. How did you kind of find that sort of freedom where like you were just able to just play, you know, with your friends or with your family and just play the game, you know, unstructured, no real rules, no real sort of, set up or structure to it yeah I love it um I love that because I remember when I was in the park and it could be with mates or with my family we got uh like shoes as uh, goal posts or sticks for cones to dribble in and out of so I miss that aspect really because I think that was kind of the fun of the game and I always as I get further up my career I'm always trying to remember myself that how it all started. It started then with the six dribbling in and out. Uh, so I'm just grateful that I've got cones now uh, to work with. Um, no. Yeah, I love it. I think we use like jumpers as goalposts and having the debate if it went in or not, because obviously we can't really tell. Um, yeah, but I love that aspect. And I think just the freedom really, as you said, uh, it's just great, isn't it? Yeah, no, hundred percent. And also, as well, like you said, you know, putting down the jumpers when 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 someone's coming close to you, moving the jumper closer to the other one to make the goal yeah, smaller. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, as well, we talk about like privileges, like you mentioned about like cones and things like that. You know, I remember playing with footballs that I, I don't even know if I can class them as footballs. You know, they're flat, they're absolutely battered, and but still, you kind of as a as a young kid, you don't really see all of that. You just think, oh, do you know what? I'm playing football, and this is what I love to do, and 
you take out all of those external factors almost in a, in a, in a yeah, way. Exactly. I remember when I was at the park and I'm just, I saw a flat football just over there. <laughs> I'm just drawn to it. I pick it up and start playing. It doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, I love it. Yeah, nice quality. So obviously, like you said, that was kind of your first memories of the game. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's a genuine memory to have because like we just mentioned there, I think they're the ones which we remember the most and where we have the most freedom within playing the game almost because obviously as you go on, it becomes more structured and more organised. Um, but how did you kind of get into that more structured and organised football? Was it something like nowadays there's a lot of um, girls who get involved in football potentially because of like external companies or providers that are coming to schools, kind of, you know, give them a bit of a taster of to what football is and what sessions they could go to outside of um, school. But how did it all kind of start for you to get into that sort of real structure? Yeah, I think the it's a funny memory. The first memory that I really had of like joining a kind of club in a way, it was a summer camp and my mum applied me to it. And I remember when I was registering, like this was young, young, I think this was six, seven. And I, I walked into the hall I'm, I'm the only girl. I'm wearing a man new top on, a Barcelona shorts on, just <laughs> matching kit. I'd never do that now. Um, walk in, and I remember the there's another class going on at the same time. It was like a ballet class, and I remember all the girls looking at me and saying, like, why is she playing football? And I remember just me walking into that room. I was like, I'm just here to play. I didn't think anything of it, and all the boys were like, oh, but you're a girl, this and that. And then I remember, because it's kind of like mini tournaments, I loved it. I didn't really, I kind of sat on my own at lunch because no one understood why there was a girl there. <laughs> but um, literally the, the boys didn't pass me the ball, but I just started tackling my own teammates so I could get involved. And I think I got top goal scorer in the tournament. So <laughs> I just Probably. loved it. Yeah, I think those are the memories that just make me like fall in love with the game because I remember that there's so many barriers that girls face now, which I'm so grateful. There's loads of girls clubs uh, that's coming up and they've got access to that, but I think a lot of people my age when they were younger just kind of play with the boys and see how it goes. And then following that, um, I think in my school there was a, a teacher called Lloyd and he was uh, like a coach and he was at Leighton Orient. And he was like, you've got something like, why don't you, you try for a club? I was like, okay, I'll have a look about. And I found an all-girls team, which is really rare, um, in Islington. And it was run by Kirsty Peelin and she's a, a former Arsenal captain, won the FA Cup. So for me at that young age, to have a role model like that was crazy. And then I was at that club for 10 years. I loved it. Uh, yeah, I stayed at the grassroots club uh, for that long. And I think there was a lot of times where people said, oh, why don't you go try or to, to get into a bigger team? I just at that age, I just loved the environment. And I think it's so important. If you, if you love an environment, I think honestly stay like, because obviously you're developing. Um, and then, what was it, 14, 15, went to another grassroots club. Um, it was hard to leave that club. Um, but my mum was like, why don't you try and move on and get up the ladder? Because all my friends were saying to me, really, you, you play at a, an academy. I was like, sure, I'll try. And then 17, 18, um, broke into the late Oring and Greatings. And then this season, kind of breakthrough year, everything happened all at once. I uh, went to the trials, got into Crystal Palace. Then first game for them, got named captain. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> so if you look at that journey, it's not a lot of people have that journey just like through grassroots and then all of a sudden you get into an academy and then it all takes off. 
yeah, no, that's quality. It's, it's, listen, it's a fantastic journey, and um, we'll get into a bit of later stages in a little while. But I just want to take it back for a second. You mentioned um, two key things there, really. So you mentioned first of all about sort of like you know the structure in terms of when you went to the holiday camps. Like I remember holiday camps. I almost thought they weren't real. So you'd obviously go to school obviously five times a week, and you know it typically be obviously like nine till three or whatever, and you think. Oh, so many boring lessons in between, except for obviously PE. Um, but then you go into these um, soccer camps or football camps and all of a sudden you're doing the exact same structure of the day, but it's taking up the whole of it through playing football. And yeah. like you said, through playing tournaments. And I almost thought to myself, this surely can't be real. Can't we do this full time? <laughs> if anything, it's, it's crazy. So you mentioned there about like sort of the structure and just, you know, being able to actually play football for six, seven hours of the day, let alone just one hour in a park. And then you mentioned about the sort of environment, and I totally agree with you. I think the environment which is set for players to feel comfortable, feel confident, and just have fun with him is so important. Um, it's interesting you mentioned that as well, and this is what I can lead on to. In those environments, how welcome did you feel in terms of the, I know obviously you said in the, the soccer camps or football camps, you know, there was a bit of like, you know, boys turning around and saying, you know, you're the only girl there um but how did this sort of environment make you feel there and then in comparison to like you said when you went into the grassroots teams yeah I think that experience when I look at it I just laugh because I think a lot of other people would have backed out of out and felt intimidated because obviously I think it was 80 plus boys and I'm the only yeah it was a really big like football camp but again I think from a young age, nothing really seemed to bother me. I was just there, as you said, play football the full day. I'm excited. But that's all That's all I really cared about. And then going into the grassroots um, transition, I think it was quite easy for me because as a, as a kid, I always just thought, if you're playing football as well, we're going to be mates. <laughs> like, yeah. just sharing the love of the game. And I think, especially within the grassroots uh, environment, it's really a community, family-based. Usually it's from like local clubs and people from the local area because at Camden that's what it was all the girls were from Camden and just kind of I'm friends with a few of them still where one of my mates just went off to just got a contract for America so she's off for a scholarship so it just shows you like we've from that young age we stay connected all the way and a lot of us are doing really well from that club so obviously they're producing good talent (laughs) no that's quality and again it's interesting you mentioned there about sort of like you said if you're playing football you know you're seeing it as whoever's around you you know they're your football friends and you know you're their friends who you're gonna just who doesn't matter if it's boy or girl you're gonna play football with them because that's what you're doing and I think it's interesting because you know like you said although it wasn't maybe even necessarily a negative experience because the positive was that you was playing football and that outweighs everything but like you mentioned there about sort of you know that atmosphere of sometimes boys looking at it as though, you know, you're a girl. And I think what's obviously number one that is wrong, but number two, what's even more so wrong about that is like you said, actually you're all there playing football. So why does it matter, you know, whether you're a boy or a girl um, and, and, and how that creates. So thinking about that sort of um, journey in terms of, like you said, the sort of soccer schools, football camps, um, and then obviously moving into the grassroots team where obviously, you know, you're getting a bit more structure around other girls, which, I can imagine must be quite nice as well because you you said some people have come through similar pathways or similar backgrounds and then obviously you're all striving on towards um, pushing on to greater things and like you said that team obviously did do that there as well but what kind of barriers did you face along that journey and what kind of opinions did people sort of pot towards your way as you was kind of going through those different steps of your journey? Yeah I think at the grassroots level I think the biggest thing the biggest barrier for me 
Um, I was really fortunate to be in an all-girls league, um, have great coaches, but to get access to the league, so I think it was in Hampstead, and that was probably about two hours away from me if you were going through like TFL. And obviously my parents didn't have a car, and I think a lot of uh, within the grassroots community as well, we really rely heavily on like coaches giving you a lift and I think the accessibility was probably the biggest barrier for me and obviously when everyone's coming from different backgrounds it's it's a lot of like economical barriers uh finances because I know there's quite a big fee for like registration uh for leagues and stuff um for me personally let's open up in about a story for myself I think my mum was disabled so it was really hard at a young age for me to get to those games and I really like I'm so when I look back on it if those coaches didn't take me to that game I would have maybe fell out of love for the game because I couldn't even access the league games um I think there was one time they put me in an uber and I remember I think it took a wrong wrong way and then I got to the pitch about one minute before kickoff they were like Rio you're on go 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 literally ran on the pitch and boom but that's what I love about grassroots but I think Again, on the barrier aspect, I think the accessibility thing for me was probably the biggest. And what I'm trying to do now is kind of highlighting that factor and making people more aware of if you've got kids, especially in grassroots, it could even be academy that might struggle for this, offer it out. Because some people might not want to ask because they feel, yeah, because I, I was like that a lot. I kind of just waited for people to ask me if I needed a lift. And then I'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'd really appreciate it. So just small things like that, that coaches maybe not think about it, put it in the GC and just see um, the response. But yeah, I think that's the biggest barrier for me. And I'm just kind of putting a highlight on that, on that factor. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's, it's such an important area to uh, highlight. And I often talk about a mix of, I know talent is very subjective, but, um, you know, the mixture of talent, motivation and opportunity now is clear to see that you had the motivation throughout. That's not a doubt. Um, in terms of, like you said, in terms of the number one, where your career has gone um, and through the different steps and journeys that you've taken as well and how quickly you, you've developed within that, it's clear to see that you have talent um, or ability, which, you know, other people may not be as of high as you are. But like you said, the opportunities is such a key thing. Like you said, accessibility, finances. And then that's without even like we, you know, mentioning here and, and mentioning throughout today's uh, discussion, the fact that, you know, people are having their own perceptions and, you know, wrong uh, opinions on whether or not even girls should be playing football. So, yeah, it's incredible to see what you've actually come through and, and how you battle to do that. But I think that it goes back down to your personality and your characteristics of just being determined. And, and even like how you're speaking now, you know, you're showing that you're a real advocate for the women's game and highlighting these important issues which you faced along your journey, which I think is almost just as important as experiencing it because now people who are listening can take that on board and think, do you know what? I didn't really think of that. Or do you know what? Like you said, maybe that's given me the confidence of going out there to speak with people. Did you ever have any of that when you was growing up? So obviously some of the coaches that you mentioned, obviously I know you mentioned the um, Arsenal player um, and obviously she was a female, but you mentioned the the person who got you in touch with the, the first um sort of structured session that you went to and that sounded like a guy was there ever any sort of female role models within your environments that you could look up to or discuss with and and and, and talk with yeah I think um when I was younger obviously the where the female game was 
it wasn't on the TV. They didn't have like the FA player. Um, there wasn't a lot of visibility and exposure to kind of understand the, the players. And I remember there was one tournament and Rachel Yankee was there. Obviously, she played for Arsenal in England and she signed my boot. And I've got that boot and it stays with me because it's the reason why I started football. That role model for me was so important. I don't realise when I was that age, I didn't realise how big of an impact it had on me. But I think that was kind of the first like big female role model that I had. Obviously, my mom, the coaches, but as like Rachel Yankee, I was like, whoa, like, okay, maybe this is a career path. And I remember she gave like a talk and you could do this and, and highlight in the success of the Arsenal team because I was in Highbury at the time. So I was right next to the Emirates. Um, so, but I used to support Arsenal for, I think, like a year. And then I realised... <laughs> yeah but um I think in terms of female role models now I'm so grateful where the women's game is because I always like now I don't think I'm a role model but I was sharing my story throughout this lockdown and trying to inspire these girls and they're they're saying to me you're my role model I was like I think it just highlights it doesn't really matter what level you're at you could be a role model if you're a female to these girls you could be a role model at any level you don't need to be a professional footballer could just be you want to get into coaching and they could, that could be their first experience of having a female coach so just those little things um it's huge yeah 100 percent, and it's interesting as well again mentioned Rachel Yankee I mean then I hope I'll admit it she was one of my idols growing up as well you know and that's coming from a, a boy or a male perspective and I think where people kind of you know replicate what they want to achieve now for me she was an incredible player you know in terms of ability in terms of what she stood for in terms of just her overall character and, and personality and again I think this where it boils down to and you, again you kind of touched on it there like even if you're not a professional um, I mean number one like I said you're achieving great things in the game so far within your career and your journey but also taking that away I'm not surprised you're a role model to a lot of these girls because of, like I said, the way in which you carry yourself, the way in which your personality and your characteristics come out when you're speaking about, you know, like I said, your experiences, the women's game in general. Um, and I think it's so important that, you know, people take bits away from each of these individuals. So, you know, they might take away something from your footballing ability, your technical ability. They might take away something from the way in which you psychologically speak and analyse things. They might take something away from in which the way, like I said, away from football, it's just how you are as an individual. Um, and I think all of those kind of build to a collective almost. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think... With me, if you get me talking about football, you could see it through my voice, how passionate I am about it. Because, look, as, as I said before, like I'm only young, I'm 18. But I think because of the journey I've been through and a lot of my friends have been through, I kind of just want to put a spotlight on that. And because I'm now in a position to do that, I'll happily do it 24-7, free of charge, just to inspire people. Because that's just what I'm really passionate about in life. <laughs> Yeah, no, 100%. And, and again, it goes back to the Rachel Yankee point that I was making that, you know, I think you're inspiring so many young girls and women within football and, and out of football as well. But also as well, you know, I'm, I'm advocating this. A lot of boys should listen to what you're saying and take that on board as well. Because like I said, just because of the types of situations you've been through, the way in which you deal with things and, and the way, like you said, you know, you're advocating what you believe in. And also, like you said, you're passionate about football. It goes back to that soccer school experience. You know, it's football. It's what you love to do. So, you know, why don't people want to talk about it? Why don't they want to share their experiences on it? I think that, yeah, like I said, 
um, boy or girl, people should be listening to you and taking things away 100%. Um, but yeah, but again, looking at how all things have obviously progressed. So like you said, you then um, obviously went into Crystal Palace and, and just talk us through that experience. Now you said obviously you had a bit of a trial there, but what was that trial like and, and, and how did that sort of, I know you said it quickly changed over to trial, first game, captain, but what was that process yeah. like and how did you feel going through that? Yeah, it was, um, I remember it was probably around eight, March, April time where the trials get released and my mates were like, oh, we kind of sign up for everything when, yeah. when they get released. And my, my friend sent across the Crystal Palace one and I was like, there's no way that I'll get in. I was like, I'm, I might not apply because I didn't, I was still lacking that self-belief. And they were like, apply, re-apply. I was like, fine. Did my details. Um, and I'm still kind of in lockdown. And I knew that lockdown would be crucial for the trials because I know a lot of people would have lost motivation yeah. and I just kind of just used it to my advantage. I've probably trained with a few of my friends for about three, four hours a day. If I couldn't have access to the AstroTurf, um, I'd do it at home, do a, just some, some work that I could do. Um, so I came out of lockdown probably in the best shape that I've been in. Um, I also did a, a mental um, kind of game thing with uh, Kevin George, like a, a psychology right. course emotional literacy um and as soon as I just tapped into that mental headspace I saw big improvements in how I like how I went into trials so I was in a really good position mentally and physically and I think a lot of people forget that mental aspect because I think the mental game is more important than the physical game because of what's happened to me in the last like six or so months um so I did that course and I did some one-on-one -on -one stuff with him and he told me some things that I could do on a trial day because I, I said to him that if the trial's in the evening, I'll probably be a bit more nervous because it's more, I've got a whole day that I'm thinking about it. So he said, right, keep busy and do other these different techniques. And I went into that palace trial, I think it was a midday. And I remember on the train, I was saying, I'm not going to get in. It's still negative thinking, but I think when once I got off, out on the pitch, I think just something switched. I was like, you're capable of this. I think it took me about five minutes to get into it, but I was like, just have a bit of, what was it, confidence? Yeah, belief in your ability. And I was really vocal. I was confident. And I think the coaches saw that and then got um, an email. I think it was about a week later. And when it came in, I was like, no way. Like, I think they sent it to the wrong email address. <laughs> um, but yeah, got in. And it, I think it was kind of, when I got the email straight away told my mom, but I think it was the biggest relief because a lot of people they might see on my stories just signed for Crystal Palace, but it took me about 10 years of graft, hard work. And that's the people that people don't see that aspect working every single day, all the sacrifices that you make, but eventually it'll pay off. So that's how Crystal Palace happened. And then I think a week later I got, um, there was a show uh, that got put on someone's Instagram called Ultimate Goal for BT Sport. I was like, I'll apply for it. Don't think I'm going to get anything back. Producer phoned me. And then I was on that show as well in August. So everything happened all at once. That July, August time was probably the best months of my life. <laughs> I just didn't know what was going on. <laughs> no, that's, that's incredible. A few things. Number one. You know, thank God that you applied for the um yeah. stuff because, like you said, you almost didn't do it. And you know, in terms of regrets, I mean, often listen, people say that you know, I don't have regrets, and you know, sometimes things that we miss out on opportunities, opportunities for us to learn and rebuild and recharge. But yes, yeah, thank God that number one, you applied for that uh, Crystal Palace trial, the trial, 
Um, second of all, as well, thinking about the way in which they told you, like that's incredible to hear that, that you actually get an email to find out. Because even again, I know myself, I mean, I can try and be as positive as I want. And I always say that positiveness attracts positiveness. And, you know, if you think positive, you'll be positive. But waiting for an email, I think I'd be driving myself crazy as well, just waiting by my phone, constantly refreshing it to see whether or not it's a message has actually come so through. That was me, but I didn't expect, I didn't know that they were doing it like by email because I knew there was a yeah. second date of trials. So there was like two stages. So I was just waiting for that second stage. And then I got, <laughs> I think I got an email, a few of us got it, I think the night before the trial. I was like, whoa, like, because <laughs> when it came through, I was like, why is Crystal Palace emailing me? <laughs> but then, yeah, it was, it's crazy. Nice quality. And then obviously as well, yeah, something which I really did want to try and touch on as well, which is, again, is another incredible achievement which you've been through. Um, and I can imagine like an unbelievable experience, the ultimate goal series. Now, you know, I've, I've watched that on TV as well, and it's an incredible series and incredible opportunity. Um, obviously, I know you said that you applied for it, but how did that kind of come about? And do you know what kind of the thinking was behind the series? And did they know or had they seen you play at that time? So did they know a bit about your journey or or what you're like as a player? So how it happened, so obviously they released a promo video on, um, I think it was Annie Aluko, uh, Rachel, Fran Finnis, uh, Molly and Rosie, and obviously Molly and Rosie was part of my academy and they were like, check it out. I was like, oh, this is this is cool. Um, I was like, I might as well apply. And basically the producer gets back to you and they ask you to write a bit about your story. And obviously because of COVID, they can't really see anyone play. So you just send in a, a highlight video. So here's me trying to find all my, my old clips, um, put it all together. Um, and then from that, they kind of, they rang me up and they were like, pack your bags, you're going to St. George's. I was like, you'll have, I, I think I told the producer, you're, you're kidding, right? Because I just couldn't fit it because um, of the month I had. Um, and then, yeah, the, the ultimate goal was probably just an incredible experience because I think I was I was one of the youngest on the show and I learned so much from other females like perspective of, of their journeys and how um, I think some of them are 26, 27, kind of like like the last chance to get a pro. And it kind of put things into perspective for me. I was like, I have time um, and I'm, I'm just doing the right things on my journey. Um, but I never thought that I, I never knew how to get to St. George's Park, obviously because it's in England International. Um, and just to be in, be there and have that experience, it will, st it will stay with me for the rest of my life. Yeah, no, it's incredible. And, and as well, you mentioned some of the names there. Um, and obviously, I know that, you know, you have players who dropped in regularly and obviously provided some like you know, tips and training. Um, and, you know, I just want to kind of touch on what that was like. And especially as well, it's interesting because it's almost like it seems like it's done a round circle where you mentioned about Rachel Yankee, the day you met her and obviously she signed your boot. And then, you know, I mean, back, back round again. Um, but also as well on that point, um, you know, how has it sort of, I say benefited you, but what kind of have you seen since you've been on that show, like, you know, in terms of um, potential other opportunities and, and were Crystal Palace, were, were they okay with that when you went on to that show? Yes, yeah, so I remember at, um, the trial, the second one, obviously I knew I got in and I, I said to them, I just need to know it's confirmed that I'm at Palace so then I could say it on the show. Um, yeah. And they were completely supportive of me because they knew what an opportunity that is for me and I was just I was just buzzing as soon as I got the news um obviously I missed a bit of pre-season but they said look you're going to St George's Park yeah. and you'll obviously keep your fitness up um and the players that did 
the masterclasses, obviously Rio Ferdinand, Farrah Williams, like Rio Ferdinand for me, when he walked out, I was like, whoa, <laughs> like, cause I was a Manny fan. So just to, just to see him and ask him questions. Also Farrah Williams, I think I came off that pre-season and I was just, I was just really confident and I started to believe in myself. And I was like, look, there's, there's a reason why that opportunity came about. Um, and I just kind of used it to win my advantage. And I remember when I got back to Palace, I was a lot more confident in my ability, um, a lot more vocal. And I think just the self-belief aspect from St George's, I think, was the biggest takeaway that I got. Yeah, 100%. And it's interesting as well. Again, you mentioned about the, sort of the self-belief. And also, we mentioned before about barriers. And, you know, you've gone storming those barriers down. You know, like you've mentioned about in terms of what people may have perceived as, you know, you can or you can't do when you're younger um, or, you know, in terms of environment. So I would love to see where most of those boys are at now who are on those uh, football camps or soccer camps <laughs> in terms of what they've done within their, their careers because I doubt it's nowhere near anything that you've achieved. And I think what's interesting as well is, like I said, you'll see you built that self-belief and that self-confidence and quite rightly so as well. But you've taken every opportunity. You know, you've not turned down an opportunity. And I know we said there was almost that chance where you did miss it originally, but you've carried on, keep on going through it. And I think that that's credit to yourself. And, you know, like I said, you shouldn't have regrets, but you almost think to yourself, what would happen if you didn't take those opportunities um, throughout that pathway and throughout that journey? Yeah, I think there was, um, there was a sports psychologist that we had access to on the show because obviously it's a really high-pressured environment. And I remember she, she talked about if you don't take the risk, there's no reward. And she said to everyone in the room um, that you could have turned down this opportunity because it could have been all the cameras. Obviously, it's quite a very high-pressured environment to be in. Um, and then I, I spoke to her at the end. I was like, you, what you just said about if you don't take the risk, there's no reward. I was like, just looking back at my journey, if I just didn't make those decisions, it would have changed where I was, was now. And I think it just shows you that no matter how many obstacles and barriers, you'll eventually come through it. And then that opportunity will be waiting. It might be a year from now. It could be next week. But if you just keep on going, you're going to get spotted. So, yeah, I think don't take, don't take the risk and there's no reward. I think that's, that's a brilliant one that I took yeah, from that experience. Yeah. That's a quality thing to say. And also as well, now I know that, like I said, you're absolutely killing the game at the moment in terms of you know as a player but I also do know as well that you're thinking or you are going into the coaching industry as well how, how are you balancing the two of those different things and how are you finding the coaching industry and sort of what are your ambitions within that industry itself as well yeah so I think um the coaching one came about I was trying to get onto a, a level one course for ages and obviously I couldn't work it out because I had games and obviously I'm not going to miss the games on the weekend um but then I got I picked up an injury in November and I was like if I'm going to get my coaching badges I'll do it now and yeah. um for me I've always I love coaching because the biggest reason why I want to go into the coaching environment is one because I'm a female and I know I'll be a role model to, to girls and boys and kind of break down those barriers and stereotypes but also just to give back to the grassroots community um, I think for me, if I look at where I want to go with my coaching, I think I would really want to stay in the grassroots environment because for me, it's just giving back um, and kind of thanking the coaches that were before me because a lot of them are volunteers putting hours and hours of work in. And if 
if they don't turn up that one weekend, I could have, because for me, football's my release. So yeah. I appreciated those sessions so much. So I think with my coaching journey, I'm really excited. Um, I loved it. I think I've got one more webinar to do and then I'll be qualified level one. But um, yeah, I just, I just love coaching. And I think just giving the sessions out and just make it fun and enjoyable. I think that's the biggest thing for coaches anyway. Your, your session has to be fun because that's what football's all about. 100%. I think that's where a lot of coaches get it wrong. I think a lot of coaches think, you know, as they become more qualified or more experienced, they feel they have to rewrite the will and they have to try and replicate it to the game as much as possible. But ultimately, players enjoy playing football. That's the first thing. And second of all, like you said, it goes, again, back to the start where you mentioned about environments setting that right environment where it's going to be fun, where people are going to be creative, where they're going to be able to enjoy it and learn. And it's interesting because I always say this about, as a coach, I think one of your roles and responsibilities, obviously to, like I said, make the environments um, enjoyable and creative and things like that. But also as well, in a way, you're kind of creating the next crop of coaches because, you know, as a coach, if I can give my player the right level of knowledge, understanding and learning that ultimately will give them obviously the decision making and problem solving tools but also as well they'll have the technical ability too so in being able to have the technical ability and also have the knowledge understanding and just awareness of why how when where actually it's filtering down into the player to almost become their own coach and it's interesting that that's kind of the the journey in which it's taken with you as well and I, I really think it's great as well in terms of like you said when there was a little break you still didn't stop you know, you didn't just stop and say, right, do you know what? Let me just rest. Let me just recover. No, I'm going to get out of there. I still want to learn. I still want to educate myself. And I think, in a doubt, it's going to help you on the pitch as well. Yeah, because I think coaches sometimes don't understand how big of an impact you can have on a player's life. Um, and what you just said about um, the knowledge that coaches give you and you're kind of developing future coaches. If I look at the, the coaches I've had over at Palace and also kind of this last year in college football academies, um, they're probably some of the best coaches in the country and the knowledge that I pick up from them on game days, the te technical and tactical stuff, kind of stealing their drills here and there and I'll put it on in my FA Level 1 session. Um, I'll be like, yeah, yeah, I came up with that. But it's kind <laughs> of, you learn from from those environments and I remember like the tutor for the, the level one course, they were like, you've got great like understanding of technical and the tactical aspect. I was like, because one, I watch football 24 seven and two, <laughs> it's the coaches that I've had access to. And I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, 100%. And, and that's what it is. It's almost like being a thief. They always say it's like, like being a coach is almost like stealing all these different ideas. And, and, and like I said, I always think sometimes, like you said, it is the ideas, but then it's also as well, like I said, there's been coaches when I've gone out mentoring and I literally take things away such as their mannerisms, you know, and how they actually control a group, how they speak to people, you know, in terms of how they listen. And I think all of these key things, and like you said, you've been exposed to some of the greatest, um, you know, people in terms of knowledge, understanding, experiences, coaching and playing, and being able to take away bits from each of those will ultimately build, you know, almost an almighty one of those people. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic to see that, I think. So what does the future hold for you? I mean, obviously, listen, you've done so much already, um, but you've still got so much more to go as well. But what does the future hold for you in terms of your playing and also your um, coaching elements of the game? Yeah, I think because of all the off-the-pitch stuff recently, sometimes it could distract you from what's going on the pitch. But 
obviously my main goal is to 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 reach like the WSL become a professional break into the England squad that's always going to be my goal um and I really want to kind of do it from that palace pathway if I can break into that first team get promoted with them to the WSL um and kind of see where it takes me but I think that's ultimately my uh, goal for the future and in terms of all the off the pitch stuff uh Really, I'd love to get involved in the media industry and kind of just um, get people inspired, break down those barriers for a lot of people um, and just spread word about the women's game because where it's going, it's only going up. Like if you look at if you look at the, the viewing from the Women's World Cup in from France, 1.1 billion people tuned in. So obviously people want to watch it. It's football, uh, regardless of the gender, like... Um, for me, I think, again, the media stuff, obviously on the pitch stuff and then also my coaching as well. Um, obviously, I, I want to make an impact in that. And yeah, I've got a lot of stuff going on, but I think it's always remembering my main focus and then all of these other things are kind of my off the pitch stuff that keeps me going. Um, because obviously with football, injuries could happen. A lot of stuff could happen on the way. And I think a lot, of, especially academy players forget um, if people get released and they don't really have a backup plan um, that's another thing on the clubhouse discussions it's been brought up a lot uh, about players finding their identity off the pitch and I think for me that's a big thing for me um, and that's why I've got a lot of stuff going on but I love it I love keeping busy um, as long as it's in the football space I'm loving it <laughs> yeah no, that's class I'm not gonna lie you've got a hectic few years coming up in terms of like you said all those few things but Again, it's inspirational. You know, I take inspiration from that in terms of, you know, it makes when you listen to people and find out what they're doing and, and how they're doing it, it makes you want to do more. You know, it makes you motivate and go, do you know what? Like, that's incredible what this person's doing. And like you said, in terms of you've got three almost avenues there. You've got your playing, your coaching and then your media type stuff. And I think especially for you as well, like I said, in terms of how you carry yourself, in terms of what you've achieved, situations and scenarios that you've been through. I think, yeah, media and like even podcasts, even stuff like this, I think would be yeah, fantastic for you to do. Me, yeah, people told me about getting my podcast going, so maybe uh, something for the future. But um, I think the, the reason why I'm like that is because I really understand how much graft that other women's football players put in before me to get the game where it is now. And for me, I literally... I, I said I made that decision and I said I'm not going to let you guys down because mm. you've none of them have really had the exposure that the current England players are getting for example and I think people always need to remember especially within the women's game the people that come before you and I, I always make that promise to myself um, I'll keep that going for you I'll keep the women's game going for you no matter what if it gets a ban I'm here no it's not happening um, like that that's just me um, I think that's just my responsibility that I've took on to keep the women's game growing um, as it should be as well and kind of for the people listening men and women just to get involved because football's football and it doesn't discriminate against everyone and football's for everyone so I think that's my key mes message really yeah, no, that's quality. And I'm not being funny with you. Not only are you going to have role models underneath you, but you're also going to have the respect from the people, like you said, who have played the game and, you know, taking things away. And I think, yeah, like I said, you know, big advocate for for what you're doing and how you're pushing the women's game. Um, and I think a lot of people, like I said, you, or you mentioned as well, just say boys or girls, just stand up and listen to it and take things on board. Um, if there was one thing which you could change about the women's game in terms of potentially the perceptions of it, 
the funding or the opportunities. I mean, like I said, you know, there's so many more opportunities that are coming about now. But what one thing would you change if you had the power to? I think um, having equal opportunity because for me, it's not a level playing field. Um, mm-hmm. I'm part of an academy where it's called level seven and the L stands for level playing field um, cool. and creating those equal opportunities because I want to see like the WSL players, the championship players, every tiers three to six. If you look at the also the wage gap between the Premier League and the the WSL players, a lot of people have to have full-time jobs as well as their football career, but they're still putting them out the same amount of commitment. Because if you look at my schedule, I'm training five times a week, play two matches, it's a lot. And I think that's one of the biggest things in the women's game that I'd like to change for these women. They, they should financially be like able to live and live off that, that wage. Um, I think that's the biggest thing I'd probably say, but... Yeah, equal opportunity is, is a big one for me across all aspects from grassroots to elite. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I think key message here. And I think from being honest with you, if anyone can do it, I think you're definitely the person who can uh, be at the front of that line to, to get that going. But yeah, no, that's fantastic. But listen, Rio, it's been fantastic to hear your story and your journey. Uh, I really do mean it in terms of when I said you're inspirational to a lot of people. And um, I think a lot of people who will be listening and watching this um, can take a lot away from you. Um, and also as well, I definitely encourage them to get behind you and what you're you're saying as well. So I really appreciate you taking the time and, and, and I hope you've enjoyed being able to share your story. Yeah, thank you. I think the biggest thing for me as well, thank you for, for putting a spotlight on female players as well, because... I think it's like men's responsibility as well. Start yeah. taking that responsibility and put the spotlight on it because that's how we create a level playing field. It's all good all the time. The women are shouting about it. But I think if we work together as collectively, God knows what will happen. But I just wanted to thank you. You're putting a spotlight on female players and I really appreciate it. Make sure that you follow and subscribe to the Daily Coaching Podcast so that you never miss out on an episode.